Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. I am JT Russell, and uh, if you're confused about the night, uh, it is Wednesday. Uh, yesterday, we had 3,457 ducks flooding the uh, recording studio, but no worries. We have our own Pied Piper of a sort. Drew them out quickly. It is Quickdraw3457 here with me this evening. Hello, Quickdraw. Hey, happy <laughs> Tuesday. I mean, Wednesday. Good to be back. Happy Tuesday, I mean Wednesday, and we have a very special guest with us this evening. Uh, would you like to tell all the fine folks in the chat and the airwaves who we have with us this evening, or afternoon slash evening, where they are, I suppose? Uh, yeah, this is Aviator from Team Ancient Bear Republic, ABR, and uh, also Take That Smarty Pants on various places, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Pretty stoked to have you. We've been talking about this for a long time, so happy we could get this squared away and get you on here and get some new insight from you. Yeah, this is sweet. I uh, I think we were also realizing before, like this is what what an opportunity to have um, have some notable community members come on, uh, especially ones that are known for various artifacts. This is a double sided artifact episode, and Aviator uh, Andrew is absolutely. The person who comes to mind for this particular artifact, at least for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I don't know. I think notorious might be the right word, <laughs> especially with, yeah, with this artifact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, these are always my favorite episodes. And uh, we've had a few guests on for the double-sided ones, and it's always really good to have like someone on who has lots of experience playing with the card. If I tried to talk about Gambling Den, uh, people would realize that I'm a fraud pretty quickly. So got to get the expert witnesses in here. Absolutely. So yeah, welcome. Super, super excited. I don't know. I had, I guess maybe, maybe one shop heaping note before we get going uh, with content too. And we would be remiss not to uh, mention this with an ancient bear on air with us too, but mm -hmm. the uh, signups for season nine, I believe are up right now. So if you haven't yet, uh, definitely get yourself on over to the ABR discord and sign yourself up for season nine. Yes. Everyone should do that. You guys both captains again? Yeah. They haven't kicked me out yet. They haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> they made a mistake one season. I'm holding on. <laughs> no, it's it's kind of amazing. Like I'll just say the the captain's chat is is a fun spot and all really nice people. So uh, I think you know if you join the league, there's I think zero percent chance of you getting paired with a captain that's not awesome and fun. So even even I don't know. I'm counting myself in there, but certainly. <laughs> for everybody else, I would say those nice things about them. So absolutely, uh, it's a it's a great group. Uh, a lot of faces that you that folks will recognize from around the community, uh, and all all super super awesome ambassadors of the game. I will put myself at the bottom of that list, but as a fine fine group of folks, I have actually, uh, I guess, by way of icebreaker, maybe you know, uh, for the folks who. Uh, for the one, well, the one listener who knows us but not you, you know. So this is for you, mom. You know, <laughs> what's your what's your favorite ABR format? So when you're like, all right, ABR season, I'm jazzed for this format. I get really excited about adaptive. It's it's kind of a shame I missed out on this season of the Kagi League, mm. but I love the the balance in adaptive and the uh, experience of of testing your metal on a relatively fair playing field. You know, it really is about what you can learn and uh, even even what you can learn from the other player as you're going through the match. So I, I really love Adaptive. I'm right there with you. Huge fan. I'm sorry you missed out on Kagi this year. It's off to a good I'm start. Total shark. Total shark. <laughs> Everyone in Kagi is a shark. I mean, yeah. it's true. It's true. 
It's such a strong leg. Yeah, it really is. Uh, that's interesting. I don't know. I I, uh, I guess I wasn't sure what what format I expected, but uh, interesting to hear. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the season. Definitely get to sign up, folks. This evening, though, we are talking about maybe an artifact that is interesting in an adaptive setting. Maybe uh, certainly a skill testing double sided artifact. I would say, uh, though maybe maybe the fine folks here would disagree with me. Um, but we are obviously talking about. Gambling Den, the old Gambling Den. I don't know, Aviator, would you like to do the honors of telling us what this thing does? Sure. Uh, Gambling Den is an artifact with an amber pip on it, and it says that at the start of each player's turn, they may name a house and then reveal the top card of their deck. If it is a card of the house that they named, then they gain two amber. Otherwise, they lose two amber. Nothing much to think about here, just... (laughs) Always go for it, right? That's the strategy. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. Well, I guess that's an interesting question. I don't know if we want to go right there. Maybe this will be this will be cool one to start with, right? And then we'll we'll circle back at the end and see if any minds have been changed. Um, I know my position on gambling den right at this moment. Uh, in general, in general, like it depends. Is like the like stereotypical tech guy answer and we've got a couple <laughs> so i don't know but all right we're throwing away the it depends you've got to go with a hot take or or a position so aviator what's what's your gambling den position when in doubt go for it but that's that's obviously the wrong answer <laughs> uh, i i don't even have an answer for the question because um I'll have a story to tell later in the episode after we talk about it a bit more. <laughs> um, but I am I am pretty much lost right now with this card, and I have an idea of what I want to do. Um, but I want to I want to talk about it a little bit first, and then kind of hmm. um, share my recent experience and uh, where I think I may have went wrong with it. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with the with the chat here. Gambling den is only <laughs> optional if you are a coward. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna walk that back just a little bit, a little bit. I'm almost always going for it unless I'm risking forging. Almost. So actually, I guess I, uh, if I were to give, can I give my it depends answer? Give the it depends answer, please. Okay. So I think actually the bigger question, the biggest question for me is what kind of game I'm playing. If I am playing, uh, I love to play blind sealed. Mark H and I very often, you know, will just open decks. Sometimes with my daughter, we'll open decks, sit down and play. And if somebody gets a gambling into the table, I am gambling every time because it's fun. That's what we're there to do. And it just makes for wild, wacky games. If I'm playing competitive, then it really depends. And I would say probably not call it, not do it more often than not, which, which sounds horrible to say, I I guess I am a coward, but I, I think, (laughs) you know, the, the odds are that, not taking the situation into account your odds of getting it right are one out of three and that's that's bad odds so two out of three times it will not help you win and so Mm -hmm. it's better not to do it now then there's a lot of situational stuff that should move that slider around but the actually i think in competitive the baseline assumption is two-thirds of the time it's going to hurt me i shouldn't do it Okay, so then is there a percentage that you would say all else equal, yeah, I'm going to go for it? Is it like 40%? Is it 45%? Or does it have to be above 50 before you're like, yep, I'm just doing it? If if I'm threatening a key, if I'm at four amber, let's say, then I'm more likely to do it with 
poor odds, even even with you know uh, one third, right? Because heck, why not? Uh, the upside is very large if it, if it can make you forge a key. Uh, forging a key is worth a lot more than six amber, even I would say. So mm-hmm. uh, so if that's on the table, then I would lean toward do it. If I'm already about to forge a key, and this could potentially take me off of that, I'm really going to be really reluctant. It's going to have to be much better than 50%. And once you're down to, obviously, at zero amber, you might as well. If you're at one amber, then the upside is twice as good as the downside. So that should that should flip you in the direction of probably doing it. So there, that, like I said, there's just, I think, a lot to a lot to take into account. If we, we can come back to this idea, but if there's scaling amber control and it can possibly get me to sneak out a key, then I'm even further in the direction of just just do it. Yeah, so there, you're, when you're talking about like, if you have one amber, for example, that benefits better, then you start thinking about expected value out of this, right? Do you ever do like some math equations in your head when you're doing this? Like I have a 38% chance to get this right. My expected <laughs> value here is 1.5. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I bet, it, I bet you could, if you like, you know, familiarize yeah. yourself with the equations, you'd always know what your expected value is out of it. Yeah. And I think I have, I guess I would say from a broad perspective, I've, I, I thought that through, I totally agree with you on that, but in terms of like actually you know, doing some kind of hedonic calculus in the moment and coming up with a number. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not that vast. Well, I mean, the the EV equations of this are not like super super complicated, right? But what's complicated, and this is where my position comes from, is like amber at the start of your turn is just way more valuable in general than amber at the end of your turn, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why we play cards like Key Charge, and even that's gone on a journey. Like, there was a time when we were like, why would we forge for seven when I can forge for six at the start of my turn? Having two extra amber at the start of your turn is often just way more valuable than two amber at the end. And things like things like scaling amber control, things like how much amber you can generate in that turn definitely play play into this decision. So too, things like how much amber control am I, am I facing, right? If it's mm-hmm. if it's a really grindy matchup or if it's reversal, reversal changes this entirely too. If I'm just like not generating amber, I'm maybe even more risk averse in that situation, right? There it depends. And that's gonna be really interesting yeah. to dig into. Yeah, even even where you're at in the game right if if you're sitting on two keys and i'm sitting on one then okay we can say the expected value right the the expected value of doing nothing is is i'm going to (laughs) lose and (laughs) so you know the 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 downside of getting it wrong then becomes essentially nil because i would lose anyway and so then it becomes worth it to to push for the the upside of course you can get into thinking that when it's not true and really wreck yourself so you know you, you got to be careful and then on the flip side if you are ahead like two to zero you're probably less likely to do it right because you just don't want to fumble the situation you would think that i think the problem is uh that's that's the logical way emotionally being ahead i feel like hey what could go wrong go so, for the kill you know. go for the shutout get a longer break between rounds things like that yes it is interesting, though. I I think there definitely becomes a point when you're ahead that playing gambling den is is not a good play. Like it's it becomes a discard. Like I've mm-hmm. I've faced opponents who have played gambling dens, and I've suddenly gone from an almost surely losing position to okay, maybe a few flips mm-hmm. go my way, and I'm like back in this game, you know. And yeah, and you you get into those situations where okay, the odds are poor, the expected value is low, but it's better than passing on the opportunity and surely losing kind of like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah. So it definitely like speeds up the game as we're talking about it. Um, I think you were estimating like if at a normal game, uh, you go through your deck one and a half times with gambling den out early on, you might only go through your deck like slightly over one time during that game. Yeah, I think uh, one of the one of the things to look for in in any I think really in any double sided artifact, but certainly in the case of gambling den is if it changes the game in a significant enough way that uh, that your opponent's deck won't play the way that they thought it would uh, can be that can be a really big value. And again, you know, I think if the if the odds are only one third of the time will somebody get amber, okay, that's we need to adjust for that. But but if you if if you're in a situation where people are hitting it and so it is generating amber, yeah, it gets you to the game one way or the other a little bit quicker. Um, and for someone who was really counting on digging for certain tools, if the game stays slow, they have the opportunity to, to dig through, get to the tools they need, get them in their archives, whatever. If the game goes, you know, let's say 20% faster, well, they're less likely to get all the tools they thought they were going to, and maybe their deck doesn't quite do what, what they thought. And I think I've definitely been in a lot of situations, both on the receiving end and the, the delivering end, where somebody gets to the end of the game and feels like, well, my deck didn't do what it usually does. My deck didn't, it just, I got unlucky and it didn't fire off. I've, I've said, or more often felt like saying those words. And then if I, I've, I've said them sometimes though, I have to confess, but, (laughs) but you know, if you do some evaluation after the fact, oftentimes you can realize, you know, okay, it felt that way, but in reality, here's the things that were happening that, that led to my deck not performing the way I'm used to. And uh, if you can get somebody into a situation where it's the, the game plays different than they thought and they don't adjust, then that that's an opening, right? That's an opening to possibly get a win. Yeah, and just a sidebar, um, I love that you're, like, you admit, like, sure, I, I've had those moments too where I say, I just got super unlucky. But then you have to look back at the game, and I love that you do that, and I think more people need to think about that. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a game where you feel like you just got outdrawn by your opponent, sometimes that happens. Maybe that's true. But you should always look back and say, like, why did I not draw as well as I, like, is there something I could have done differently? And I, I just mm-hmm. think it's super important to call that out. And it's really good to do that and just kind of recognize that it's not always just bad luck and especially yeah. you know, not just with gambling done decks, but with anything, there's always something you could have done a little bit differently that maybe, you know, if you held a card for one turn or you only played the house with two instead of three in hand, you would have seen an extra card. You know, like there's all these things. And I think as players, it just is a disservice to ourselves. If you don't try to think about those situations and try to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Mm. My working assumption after every game is that if I won, it was luck, <laughs> and, if I, and if I lost, uh, I did something wrong. And I think, like, uh, at least that's the starting point. That's the starting point. <laughs> if your ego can ma- and handle such a <laughs> such a thought process, then it can make for some some learning moments. Yeah, I think I think if your goal is to win more, then then it's a good practice uh, because yeah, but more analysis isn't gonna is is not gonna hurt you. And I've even asked other players after after they you know trounce me (laughs) hey i felt like maybe i did this wrong but really i didn't feel like there was much room did you notice anything and i've i've had people point out some things that i was totally overlooking and they probably wouldn't have said anything if i didn't ask so yeah i think 
if you, like you said, if you can, you really have to put yourself in the right space to handle it, but it can be very valuable. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I missed the crucible tracker for that reason. Yeah. We talked yeah. about that on this show before. Well, and I, uh, I really, I will plug our team, but I, I, I really like the fact that we have a lot of folks spectating each other's games. Uh, and not only that, but uh, most of the folks, oh, all the folks, I mean, are very receptive to feedback and like, and like actively looking for it. Um, so it's never like, oh, that, that wasn't what happened. Like, grumble, 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 grumble. But, you know, it's like, okay, that, I'll, I'll think on that, like good, good, good feedback or whatever, good, good notes. Um, so if you can get those notes and if you can be receptive to it, like super, super valuable. Yeah. So how about some situations with Gambling Den uh, where it's a sure thing? You have one card in deck, or you maybe, how often do you consider, like, you reveal with Gambling Den and you take your entire turn and you intentionally don't play any cards um, just so you can have that benefit next turn? How often does that come up? Rarely, but I have a strong bias towards playing cards and not holding them, which has, that that actually was one of the feedbacks I got recently from somebody who had just just finished <laughs> uh plastering me to the wall so but i i i think uh if you get into a situation where you know players are able to to generate amber off the gambling den if you brought a deck that where playing cards isn't giving you better value than two amber you didn't bring a competitive deck i think uh, maybe not in every situation, but in most cases, playing the cards ought to be giving you better value than that. Maybe you know if you have a big board and you're like, "Hey, I can reap for, I can reap for five, and then gamble for two, you know, and not play a card." Maybe maybe that can work out, but usually playing cards is gonna is gonna actually generate higher value. I think. I guess the follow-on to that is you have to push through that turn at some point. That's the less than two val- amber value turn yeah. to get to a more valuable turn, right? So if you start down that path, you're 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 not avoiding that that bad turn, <laughs> or at least, or maybe you're gonna you're gonna ride the two amber train forever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a slow train. <laughs> slow train. It would be, uh, if I'm not mistaken, nine turns to get enough. No, yeah, nine turns to get enough amber for three keys if they don't do anything to you. Right. And that's you're not, a, that's you know, a big if. Yeah, that's a big if. And you're not playing cards to take them off. So like they could just play cards and gain more than two a turn and you're behind in the race. Although so, yeah. I guess we'll get to double gambling dens later, I suppose. But uh, I have a funny aside to that is uh, my my brother in one sealed uh, vault tour played a gambling den on his turn one and the opponent played a gambling den on their turn one. And they both kind of looked at each other like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how many it? turns did that game last uh let's see what was half a nine four and a half four and a half yeah yeah that's uh that's a quick sealed game i don't know yeah yeah well double changes the math if you have two of them like double changes the math for sure i mean then you literally do just do it every single time yes because if you're wrong the first guess then you can probably figure out what's on top for the next guess <laughs> don't be <And> wrong twice <laughs> you, one you hope you can remember it for that yeah yeah, Long and if not, that's what the TCO log is for. Right. Now, if they, they they just grafted you and you're at ten, it's like I'm gonna whiff whiff. Let's go. <laughs> I would love to see that. I, yeah, that would be super cool. Done it. Um, you have. <laughs> yeah. I well. So okay, is this a good time to talk about candle holder a little bit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So so candle holder has two gambling dens, and that's that's weird. 
there are other decks with two gambling dens. I've never seen another deck that plays quite the way that Candleholder does, but the the basis of well the, the gambling den part of this is if you get the two down, then it changes the math like like you said, quick draw from either minus two or plus two to zero or four. Uh, or if you're at zero or one, then it's 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 even better, right? It's always going to be positive. So, uh, so that will speed the game up, and that's an interesting thing. I'll come back to that in a second. But when you're playing against scaling amber control, it can do some very interesting things. Um, for one thing, it makes too much to protect, and interdimensional graft just <clears throat> much much less valuable because on the interdimensional graft side, we'll we'll talk about that first. If I am at eight, then yeah, I might as well gamble hoping to lose, drop back down to six. And if I get it wrong, oh well, I go if if I accidentally get it right, I guess I should say, and go to ten, <laughs> I can go right back down to eight, nothing lost. But probably I can get myself down to six and just not call the second. So I end up giving my opponent less amber. So there's some interesting play there. And against a card like too much to protect, it's really brutal because you can burst from two to forging and so too much to protect just never has a chance to do anything and so there's there's whole categories of deck that where their key card becomes meaningless uh with with two gambling dens on the table now obviously things can go wrong they could also generate four amber per turn and just win that way and and in in candle holder specifically the answer to that is the Anthony's because if you can drop your opponent to one Amber, they can't burst to six at the start of their turn. And so uh, you make the game significantly shorter uh, because you're getting, you know, you're getting two to four Amber a turn or you're getting a lot of Amber. So you make the game a lot shorter and you have a way to put the brakes on the opponent. And once you're, even if they kill the Anthony's at the point where you're on check for key three and they have 30 Amber in their pool, it doesn't matter unless they have, unless they're holding three miasmas, which some people, you know, play those triple miasma decks and that, that then, oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> this is it's really good because obviously in Candleholder you have the three stirring graves, but you also have the Val Jericho, which makes it possible to lose your first Anthony, play the second one and then archive the first one again to do yep. it over again next turn. Yeah, you, you know the secret. Mm -hmm. I've watched mm -hmm. uh, a couple games against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from my teammates. Like like JT said, we, we watch each other's games quite a lot. So yep. I have seen this one in action before. This might be one of the decks that I've piloted most in prep matches. <laughs> Things like uh, Swindle Team events and, uh -huh. and other such games. Yeah, I've played, uh, played, I don't know if I've played with Quick Draw, but definitely with Not Tonight, we've played some games. I think you've played mm -hmm. some. And I might be mixing up some ABR folks, but uh, the bill, the bullet bills, that was yourself, oh yeah, yeah, that was us. Um, yep. yourself, Mark H, and Donuts Dad, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I I realized very belatedly, but Bills's brothers-in-law, brother-in-laws. Yeah, our uh, my wife, Mark's wife, and uh, Donuts Dad's wife are sisters. Well, I don't know if uh, how often you you listen to this podcast, but we actually talk about Mario Kart quite a lot. Okay. And um, I talked to Mark one time about the, the the name, and I was like, "Oh, it's really cool. It's like a it's a Mario Kart named." And he explained to me what like the BILs meant, and uh, just the Mario Kart theme like always comes back in this game. 
there are some good rubber band mechanics in Keyforge for sure. What what what's the other, what are the other what are the other Mario Kart theme elements though? Oh, it's really about like uh, the structure of the game. It's a racing game. Keyforge yeah. is. Okay. You have three laps, three keys, and then a lot of the rubber band stuff you talk about, like you know, you have the blue shell, and then you have like the too much to protect, and yeah. um, you have like some defensive items. You know, it, there's just so many parallels you can draw. And I think last week we were talking about. Uh, you know, in Mario Kart, you have like heavyweights and you have lightweights, and we're talking about it in terms of archetypes in the game. And some decks like to just go at a really fast top speed, but it takes them a little bit of time to get going. Other decks have uh-huh. like really good handling and control, just like you might have with like a middleweight. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I just I love talking wow. about it. I'm a huge Mario Kart fan. Yeah, See, that's like, deep. It is deep. Like the, it, I, there's something to it. Like the makers of yeah. Keyforge, Richard Garfield is probably a huge Mario Kart fan. That's my theory. It really does translate really well. So is gambling then one of those glitch shortcuts then? Yeah, something like that. I'm trying to think what else. Like what if else you go, is, if you go for the shortcut, you have a chance of missing it and hitting the wall, and you're just like stumbling to catch back up again. Right. So what's what's a rubber band? I'm I'm exposing myself as Mario Kart noob. No, no, it's a. I think rubber band is like a. a I guess a game design. I don't know how how it's not like a technical term, but uh, it's a catch up mechanism, right? It's it's a way to to make it easier for the so the blue shell is the probably the most used example, right? You're you're losing, but hey, here's this way that you can wreck specifically the person in front, so that now you have a chance to to catch up to them. And the further you are back in Mario Kart, the better your items are going to be. So that's kind of like the rubber band part of it too, where you're more likely to get an item that's going to make an impact to let you make up some ground and catch up. And so keyboard doesn't really have that naturally, but there are cards like that, like TMTP and graft. And, you know, I think probably some board wipes could maybe fall into that category too. Yeah. Um, especially if you have um, like your deck is kind of built around it. Whereas if you're in the front, it's all green shells and bananas all day long. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to take y'all's word on it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so glad that we have a Mario Kart fan on the show finally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to try to get us back on track here. Um, <laughs> another Mario Kart reference. So, Avi, you're talking about a bit of a difference in how you would play Gambling Den in person or online? Yeah. So, uh, well, you were mentioning the stats, and I, I certainly don't calculate all the stats, but I do like to count you know hey what what do i have available so if i'm playing gambling den it's hard because usually on my opponent's turn i want to be paying attention to everything they're doing but with gambling Den on the table i want to know you know how many cards from each house are left in my deck what do i have on the table what's in my hand what's in my archives what's in the discard three times you do it two times but or no you really have to do it three times and Anyway, so constantly checking that. Well, in, in person, that's actually a lot of work. Whereas in on TCO, you can just click your deck and see what cards are left in the deck. Obviously, it's not showing you in order. That would be that would be too strong. But uh, <laughs> but I can see. Oh, I have you know eight discards and four star alliance and five shadows. So I know that. Did I do the math right? I know that I have like a slightly less than 50% chance if I call this and a much worse chance than that if I call something else. So you can calculate that very quickly, whereas in person, it's a lot it's a lot more work. Are you worried? I don't know how often you've played in person in the last few years. Um, I have unfortunately not played too much in person, hoping to change that soon. But I, I have a fear that if I ever 
um, like when I go back to playing in person again, at some point during the game, I'm just going to pick up my deck and look at it just to count cards and then shuffle it up, put it back. Mark H organized a the SoCal Keyforge Spectacular, and we we were I on stream. I had one card left in my deck, and I picked it up and I looked at it. And uh, <laughs> I don't I as far as I know, it, I don't even know if anybody was watching the stream, but I I caught myself. And I I had to call him over and be like, I I did this like I didn't gain any information that I couldn't have derived, but obviously that's completely unacceptable. And how do we fix it? And we ended up okay. Well, I didn't gain any information, so there's nothing. We didn't do anything. But he said if I did it again, he'd he'd DQ me. So <laughs> uh, which was fair. Uh, but yeah, so I I did I did make that mistake in person and. <laughs> Uh, luckily caught myself and turned myself in, but it did not feel good. It almost makes you wish that TCO just didn't let you look at your deck, just let you figure it out. But like, I, I understand why it lets you, because like, you know, how much time can we spend like counting cards in your discard and seeing what's left in your deck and things like that? Like online, it, it does speed it up a bit. Like you said, you're not getting information. Yeah, and there's like a, I mean, this is a whole other tangent, but I know one way to think about this is TCO is like for doing quick iteration on like, I want to, you know, I want to play 30 games. Well, I can play 30 games on TCO way faster than I can play 30 games in real life, but there's no substitute for the IRL practice for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I almost, I almost look at them as different, almost different. I don't want to say different game, but like a different like competitive REL or, or something like you obviously have the chat there. You have, you know, so you, you're, you're, you're able like it's not oh wait what did i reveal on gambling den last turn i'll just scroll up as opposed to like let me rack my brain and try and remember so there's a, there's a whole lot of that it would be interesting to go down at some point you know what are the differences and how many of them are yes convenience but convenience enough to be like a material difference you know things like gambling den like if you were waiting till your turn to start counting would that be considered slow play in an irl setting I think some judges probably would argue like, yeah, it is um, depending on, on how much time it was taking you. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, right? It's really interesting. Right. And, and that's, I, well, this is another tangent, but I, I certainly feel like, especially if I'm bringing the cards that can play slow, it's on me to make sure that I'm not mm-hmm. playing them slow. Right. If, if my opponent brings a slow card and th- you know, there are certain cards that just can slow the game down. If my opponent is bringing that, and I'm having to think hard about it, and that slows the game down a little bit. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. But I don't. If I'm bringing it, then I want to make sure I'm well practiced enough to play it quickly. And mm-hmm. and that's how you end up making a dumb mistake like <laughs> looking at your <laughs> looking at your deck. Like you said, you turn yourself in, so I think you're forgiven yeah. by all involved. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I I have my little story then now about my experience with gambling done recently. You had mentioned it possibly being a good adaptive card to mm-hmm. bring. My first Kagi match of this season, my opponent brought a double Gambling Den deck. It was a decent deck. It had tons and tons and tons of creature control, and it happened to have two Gambling Dens as well. Um, I was playing a Dark Tidings deck. It was fairly rushy. I kind of went with my, what I'd always done with Gambling Den, which was to check the odds that I have. And if there was one house that was more common than each of the other two, so if it was like essentially like 35 40% or better, I would go for it. I ended up losing nine out of ten of my gambling dens that game. <laughs> um, some of them when I had zero amber, but you know, a lot of them when I did not. I lost a lot of amber that game, 
and I forget the final of the game. I think it was three keys and I may have forged like a meaningless second key, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it got me thinking that if I had just not used it at all the entire game, I would have probably won. Uh-huh. And so I it's that's what started to get me to, to rethink this. Like I shouldn't have gambled if I was just like at 40 or 45 percent. But I also uh-huh. need to do a better job of recognizing when my deck is at an advantage and when I need mm-hmm. to take that risk. And that's not something that I had considered before. And we actually mentioned a week ago on this show about the Who's the Beatdown article. Are you familiar with it from the Magic? Yeah, I love love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to reread it this week again in light of this episode and what happened with my Kagi match. And I had to just really think, like, I need to do a better job recognizing, like, I could have won that game maybe had I not done the gambling. I ended up losing game two as well. I I just went 0-2 in that adaptive match. And um, you were saying earlier, like, you could just say, oh, it was just bad luck. But then I was like, no, I need to think about like, what did I, what could I have done differently? And it definitely made me think that I could have recognized maybe my deck was advantaged. Maybe I shouldn't have gambled at all. And so have you ever had that thought? Like to go into a game thinking like, I am a heavy favorite in this and I do not need to gamble. And so hmm. I'm not going to. I have not thought about it that way before, but can I try to say it back to you and make sure that I'm, that I'm catching, yeah. picking up the concept, right? Yeah. So you're saying that if, well, first of all, that in hindsight, if you had not gambled, you you likely would have won. But also that there was enough information in the deck lists for you to have made the determination, even if he's winning the gamble, let's say, three quarters of the time, if I don't gamble, I'll still win. And you, and you probably could have known that ahead of time. Theoretically, and, mm-hmm. that's the gist of it. But yeah, I, it takes, yeah. I think, a lot of skill to just look at two lists and say, yeah, I, I can win for that. But I do think that you can recognize just based on how many pips they have, how fast the deck looks in general, you can recognize like, okay, I'm, I'm expected to win this game if we just play our pips and go for it. Um, so you may not be able to calculate, look, okay, like if they win 75%, like you said, like you may not be able to look that deep into it, but I do think that um, there's some skill to be mm-hmm. gained here just by thinking about it more like, am I the beat down here in this game or mm-hmm. is my opponent? So I have a I have another deck that is two copies of a rare double-sided artifact. It's two Soul Snatchers. and I might know what and a, you're talking about. And a, and a Crassosaurus? Yep, yep. Okay, okay. So that, that deck was from a good friend who he opened it and was playing it for a long time and then he he gifted it to me. And when he did, he said, never play the soul snatchers into a coda deck. And I have not always listened. And every time I've not listened, I've been like, ah, he was totally right. Obviously that's not true a hundred percent of the time, but he was recognizing there's something in the mix of cards, you know, that show up in a coda deck that tends to take better advantage of that than I'm going to be able to, to do anyway. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a, value in being able to read and say okay this is not the time to do this uh i don't know if you remember this but uh you played that double soul snatcher deck against me in the kagi top cut okay okay seasons ago sounds right i love that deck that that deck made me like really look into soul snatcher because i was like Uh that looks like a blast i didn't have any scaling amber control in my deck except for a submersive principle but i did i think i ended up doing some kind of a final analysis data forge walk off or something like that yeah because like with the soul snatchers in the final analysis it, it was insane yeah that's that's funny yeah you you could just you could do a lot there and that yeah that's another that actually playing that deck was what 
made me excited when I saw Candle Holder because, again, I, I think... I actually think those two decks are the most of whatever it is that's going on there. I, I haven't found other decks that that do it in, in that magnitude. It's and it's just a very weird. It's a very weird way to play, but fun. I want to say that that double soul snatcher one was also perhaps in your in your swindle lineup because I, I feel like it's one that I may have tested with at some point. <laughs> you know, I think I think we used it for um for swindle team events for um for one of them was there like a team moirai i think i'm probably butchering that word maybe you know i think you're right i think you're right um yeah it was either moirai or yeah and i think if i think if i'm remembering right too you guys we faced you in like round robin and then like had to face you again in in the bracket and uh, that's yep i'm blaming i am blaming that on luck I guess you need like one more like niche double artifact deck to add to the trifecta. Um, mm, I, I have know. it. You have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. Uh, it's double curia. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew you guys would be on that too. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't think I have. I mean, double curia is obviously like a very different, different game. I don't think I have like a. I think there are double curia decks that are a lot better than the one I have, but yeah, that that maybe that's on my bucket list now. Getting a better double curia deck. Yeah, we did actually. We have an episode on curia already, and we definitely talk about how it gets really funky with double curia. It changes a lot of the math. Yeah, even the 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 way the timing works is like, hmm. what? Yeah, yeah. It certainly not something you would play with uh, someone you're introducing the game to, <laughs> unless you're hoping they don't. Yeah. Keep playing, yeah. 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 It's like one of your like, brother-in-law hey, you don't like. I've been telling you you won't like this game, but fine. <laughs> a really cool question from the chat. Um, there is something you get from Gambling Den that you only gain if you risk a guess, right? And that's the information of what the top card is of your deck. Does that does the reveal itself like weigh into your decision? I mean, I suppose there are some cards that will like take advantage of it, like book book right like book of leq really wants to know what's on top of your deck but i don't know any any kind of other scenarios where just the information itself kind of factors in i guess if you if you have a draw like if you have if you know you're going to be able to draw maybe it could affect which house you go into i've certainly used it for new frontiers calls right where like okay i saw i have an infernus so i'm gonna new frontiers dis Right, gotcha. and maybe maybe the two cards aren't disc, but I don't want to miss out on the Infernus or something like that. That, but that is pretty rare that that would be a game changer. I think mm-hmm. unless Book of Book of LAQ would be the prime example where okay, that's you get to take two turns. That's pretty good. So we did talk about Candleholder as being the as being a very cool double gambling den deck, and I think it's uh, maybe maybe more interesting decision than I initially thought about whether or not to play the first one do you have like mm. different considerations for when to play the whether whether and when to play the second one than you do for the first one or is it kind of like yolo <laughs> i think i still get it wrong sometimes i think it feels to me like oftentimes if i'm if i have a significant lead then probably playing the second one is is pretty risky right like i don't want to you play the second one suddenly your opponent it forges their second key off of getting it right 
you know, on the first, they get four amber, they forge their second key, they hold you off a turn, and if you don't have the Anthony, then you're you're dead. So that can be very risky. I think I think that's probably the the biggest situation, and and that's actually where again being ahead, you just feel so safe. And there are certainly times where playing it means now they can't possibly hold me off because they can get me to to five, but my my chances of getting up to nine from that are going to be pretty good. So sometimes it can be right, but I think I think it can be it can be very risky. So not a good win more card. <laughs> Do you often find yourself like? actually playing the second or is the second one typically a discard for you no in candle holder it's a it's a most of the time just oh cool i mean talking about that idea of speeding the game up so the opponent's deck doesn't get to what they wanted uh that's is very effective at that and then there are so many tools to to keep bringing their count down so even you know one if sometimes very heavy shadows decks uh even especially like some of the coda shadows can stall out against control decks because the control deck can just not make amber while it's building up and so you know they have nothing to steal so they're not slow you build up your board and then you just control them into the ground and i guess a really disciplined player could still do that against gambling den but at least at least i as the as the player candle holder have an option to get a lot of amber now right even if they're Mm -hmm. control the weak me well okay you control the weak to me I know what cards on the top of my deck, so I'm going to get four, right? Whereas, yeah, so I, I think it just it just changes the game enough that that other people's decks don't don't play the way they hoped. That's that's definitely an interesting like aspect of the card that I, I hadn't really thought about too. The only other question I had for you is you when you were reading the card text earlier, um, you emphasized May, and oh, yeah. it got me thinking. Um, <laughs> if you're playing with with newer players, yeah, um, you talked about sometimes maybe reminding them or you know Mm -hmm. what's your what's your policy with that there's a there's a little bit of a balance but certainly yeah with a newer certainly with a newer player i'm going to point out hey this card gives you the ability to do something at the start of your turn you should read it right and it it depends on how how uh spiky i'm feeling i guess if if i just say you should read it or hey let me know if you have any questions usually i'm all offer if you have questions let me know playing the second one also is a an important point too because experienced players tend to go they see a second one hit the table and even if they haven't ever seen that before they go oh i see what just happened right Mm -hmm. and it's not a good feeling for somebody to not do it and then see you do it and be like oh i could have done that crap you know like that's nobody likes that and um i try to you know, point it out or I don't, I don't always, but the other, I think the balancing part of that is like the shut up and sit down guys talk about this. Like you don't want to be spoon feeding people. Like you want them to have their own moments of discovery. So even just saying something like you play the second one and just say, Hey, so there are two of these on the table now. And just so you know, they, they trigger one after the other, you know, so that, that way they can think about, and some people just don't want to think about it. And okay, well, and they don't need me to like spoon feed it to them, but um, but for most people that that's enough that they go, well, what is that? What is, what are the implications of that? Oh, and I've even had people go, wait, is there a, is there any situation where I shouldn't call them, where I shouldn't just do it? And and I say, 
you know, none that I know of because <laughs> I don't want to, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, like, pr yeah, probably you want to do it. You have to kind of know like what kind of gamer you're playing with to know like yeah. how much you need to tell them, you know, some gamers, yeah. maybe they're less experienced players and, you know, they could use that extra little nudge to be like, Hey, you know, yeah. you should think about this. Uh, others, you know, definitely want to have that discovery for themselves. Like you said, there's not very many cards in this game though, that you play that give your opponent a choice right yeah especially before you have a choice that's the that's the weirdest part yeah hmm. yeah so like you play it and it doesn't do anything for you until they have a chance to do something with it that's interesting yeah they don't get to see you do it before having to try and try it out first themselves right right it's one of those where like knowing the rules is better than cheating moments sort of a thing like mm -hmm. you have to know this happens before the forge happens right and that they happen sequentially and you don't have to choose this you know some things that are yeah. maybe not necessarily obvious. Yeah, that and that is the other thing that I've explicitly said to newer players is, hey, mm -hmm. by the way, you should know this happens before you forge. We've been staring at Candleholder all night, but you have a second one, a second deck that you like with Candling Den? Sure. Uh, unless I know I know uh, Justin had one he wanted to talk about too, so I didn't know which, um, which order you Mine's not as in. cool. Oh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so this this one's Mark's uh, Surge of the Long Place Force. It belongs to Mark H. But so this is more in the category of a very good deck that also has Gambling Den. And so I know I don't want to speak for him too much. I know there are times where Gambling Den doesn't really doesn't make sense to play in this. And so for him, he's been on a journey of figuring out when is the when is the right time, when is not, and and getting a feel for that but it does it does win games sometimes right if you can if you can use the tools in the deck get an advantage 27 uh expected amber is already pretty high and then and then you get into those right moments and i know he more than me more than i have he's gotten into situations where he's like well i guess i guess the the rules changed and you can't do this now but you know where he like took the tide to gain chains to not draw so that he could mentioned that. know what yeah. he's going to call yeah. Mm -hmm. So TCO will let you do it. You are not allowed to do it per yeah. the rules currently. Yeah. If you don't mm -hmm. have, if there's not a Dark Tidings deck in the game, neither right. player is allowed to take the chain. So, yeah, um, it, it, that's worth noting. That's a good point too, because I've there've been a lot of times that I've been playing on TCO with maybe against Gambling Den. I'm like, oh man, I really wish I could just take the tide right now. But um, even though it lets you, you should not. So mm -hmm. I guess it's more of a, um, a PSA for people. Um, yeah. Well, do you want to just explain really quick what why taking the tide would be advantageous potentially here? Um, I'll take a stab at it. Um, you can tell me which parts I get wrong. Uh, but um, when you take the tide, obviously you draw fewer cards. And so if you know what's on top of your deck and you don't want to draw an extra card, you want to keep that there next turn, it actually allows you to play a card that turn without drawing an extra card. And so next turn you get those guaranteed too. Yeah. Bingo. And I think theoretically, and this always rubbed me the wrong way, theoretically, you can raise the tide as many times as you can use that mm -hmm. Omni ability, even if you already, even if the tide's already high for you. Uh, so theoretically, you could gain 24 chains if you wanted, um, which just that, that seemed, that always seemed broken to me. And, and I'm glad I, I actually, I think the ruling they made that you can't do it if there's no DT deck in makes sense but um but yeah that is but in some cases that is an option and mark h is definitely he's played around with that as an option a little more than i have what mm. i like um here's I, i'm looking for cards that 
may synergize with the gambling den here. And I could see the Neurosiphon actually having a, a cool interaction with it where um, if your opponent has like three or four amber and you're at one or two, um, you definitely are going to want to um, gamble because if you have a Neurosiphon that you're planning on playing, because if you're right, then you gain two, great. And if you're wrong, you lose those two, but you actually get to steal one right back. So right. um, it lessens the blow a bit if you do get it wrong. Right, and and in, there are a lot of situations where the, that net outcome of you and your opponent each losing one is pretty okay with, with you. Especially, again, if you're sitting on uh, pretty high amber generation in general, then slowing both of you down probably hurts your opponent more than it hurts you. Well, that's a cool interaction as well. Are there any other cards in either this one or Candle Holder that um, kind of have a weird interaction with it? Um, let me see. So... I mean, Infernus is just good, and it helps, you know, it helps mitigate the amber that your opponent's probably generating. I'm looking for Vandalize, but I don't see Vandalize in either of these decks. As you say, Infernus too, I mean, there's always an interesting interesting decision. Like, you you may want to be careful to balance the houses that you're pulling from their deck, lest you, I don't know, leave them with a two-house deck and better gambles, potentially, or even consider, right. you know... I don't know if you're having if you're in a, if you're playing a deck that has heavy infernus recursion. I mean, maybe you are angling towards putting yourself in a two house situation and, and having more more uh, positive EV gambles, perhaps. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's probably an outside an outside consideration, but it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, like, so some cards that occasionally have really interesting interactions are things like the Imp Spectre. Um, let me see what else in here could have a similar interaction. Forcing them to draw a card. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you kind of, if your opponent is on six and you knock them down to five, then again, except for like taking the tide or something, they don't, they can't now choose not to draw. So you, you've removed that option, which is an additional benefit to what's already a pretty good card. Um, the, the tempting side, offers. Though, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite, right? Like each of these decks that you have here, each have two tempting offers. So if you're bouncing a creature from a house that they are not going to go back into, you don't expect them to, normally that's a good form of disruption. But in this case, it might actually um, help them not draw an extra card, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Uh, Rad Penny in Candle Holder is a little interesting. And that's that's another case where I actually think in-person play is much easier here. Uh, you can end up in a situation on TCO where, like, you think you know it's on top of your deck. Your opponent kills your <laughs> Rad Penny, and suddenly there's a totally different card on top of your deck, and uh, not a lot of cues to you that this happened. Whereas in person, you have to physically shuffle. You're more likely to remember. Oh yeah, I've still forgotten, but <laughs> you're, you're more likely to remember. Oh yeah, the, the I shuffled. There's something different there. Yeah. Um, the lethos can be interesting too, because sometimes you, you just go through just depending on how things go, right. It can speed up the process of having a much smaller deck, which means the it sometimes can be easier to predict what's on top. This is, I mean, obviously a very sassy deck. Uh, it looks very strong and well-rounded. I'm, uh, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've played against it before, perhaps, but, um, I don't know. I'm almost now wondering if playing the gambling den is better when you're when you're behind unless you have when you're kind of 
less favored in the matchup in general as a general so i'd be curious how how often it nets out because i not that there aren't better decks out there but i, I imagine that this this matches up pretty well with lots of things um mm-hmm. so i'd be i wonder i wonder how what the play versus discard rate on gambling den is for mm-hmm. this um I think the play rate is pretty high. I, I would have to double check with Mark, but I know, yeah, I do know this deck performs really well. I know if I have to bet on it versus Candleholder, I'll bet on Surge. Okay. I think I think it is stronger, and I think Surge is in a category of no auto losses. I don't think I don't think there are any decks out there that Surge automatically loses to. I think there are decks that Candleholder will will automatically lose, um, like Quixel Quixelstone. It, it doesn't like. So you hear that quick draw? We're gonna do the uh, the surge heart of the forest matchup. After this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noticed that it does have the borrow, which is obviously very useful. But there's some artifacts like heart that might not help you out at all there. Yeah, tempting offers for days. <laughs> that, that's keys. That's actually. Oh yeah, I was I was getting a mix up. That's where the uh, occasionally in candle holder you can lift an artifact with snudge if you really need to and occasionally you can do the dream of infernus snudge infernus but it's pretty rare yeah snudge is a witch essentially <laughs> suffer not the snudge to live yeah um another card actually when um we started talking about how it's better to have amber at the beginning of your turn than at the end of your turn fandangle mm-hmm. came to mind um no untamed here no fandangle but um i could see gambling den being very strong with fandangle yes and a huge mistake to play against fandangle too <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you sound like uh, saying that as someone with experience doing that. Uh, yes, I lost. Well, that same event where I looked at my deck on camera, I uh, I lost in the finals against Logan Composer playing Kill a Snake, which you've probably I'm sure you've seen Kill a Snake. I mean, that's a that's a very 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 good deck, and I, I hope I'm remembering it right that it it uses Fandangle quite quite well, and I had. One game where I think I maybe could have won if I had not played the Gambling Dens. Yeah, it was it was just clearly the wrong move against that deck. Uh, I don't know this deck. I'm trying to find it. Oh, when you see it, you will. Yeah, I got it pulled up over here. Wow, did it take a? I guess it took a took a sass dive, but it's a, it's a very very good deck. Looks like an ABR jank deck there. Less than three armor control. <laughs> Less than three yes. armor control. Twenty seven. I had him on my team, and he did use it that week. Yes. Yep. There you go. And it was, yeah. I feel like we owe whoever was on the other end of that an apology because that's pretty brutal. You know, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the end, the other end of every, uh, of every jank format suggestion, somebody's got like, oh, this deck's awesome, but just needs yes. the, <laughs> the place to shine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's if if we're being honest, that's why I don't particularly like the jank formats in general. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of keyforge formats that are kind of constructed around a certain attribute or a statistic with the decks. Not that there's anything nefarious happening with the choices made for these in AVR. <laughs> yeah. just, the more limitations you introduce into Keyforge, the more abuse there is. And mm. um, it's kind of related to why I don't like Alliance. You know, like you talk about, um, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but like you introduce a restricted list, something else is going to be at the top of the power curve there. And mm-hmm. it's just a matter of finding what that is. And so when you add restrictions, it, maybe it breeds creativity. Maybe it allows you to play certain things that you wouldn't have before. But mm-hmm. it lets you take advantage of things that you couldn't previously take advantage of. Yeah, and I, I actually was going to say, I, I enjoy... I enjoy Jank, but I don't I don't disagree with you. I just it doesn't I think it just doesn't bother me. 
in the same way, but the jank kind of that kind of thing in, let's say like a, is this what you would call a box league? You know, like we each open a display and then we're going to play, um, you know, a series of games with different constraints, right? Okay. Well that forces us to try out different things, right? So, but, but we have a, a very limited pool. Part of the problem is when everybody has, you know, when me with 700 decks am like, eh, you're kind of a collector, right? Compared to, <laughs> to a lot of people out there. And I think same with Alliance. In my opinion, Sealed Alliance is great because you can do you can do broken things, but there you can't do the insane broken things that you can do in Alliance Standard. Sealed Alliance to me is tolerable. I think it's a slight improvement on on like regular Sealed. I, I don't feel super strongly about either one. It's probably better. It's probably more fair if you have a Sealed Alliance. If you have like a, a you know bigger event. You know, the old uh, primes that used to happen were often like mm-hmm. three deck sealed. And if you could make those alliances, it's probably a bit more balanced as far as the, the deck strength goes. That's mm, an opinion. Yeah, that's an opinion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I just want to shout out Ketzer again with a, a good comment. Gambling Den makes bubbles sad. Um, I love bubbles as a card. It's like a super strong card, but against Gambling Den, oh, it's just giving them to Amber. Yeah, that's true. Bubble wrap this gift. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is about the time of the show normally when we get to a game. Mm-hmm. What do you guys, is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Aviator? Here. Uh, let me let me read through what we said before really quick. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, yeah. So the the one other thing that I that I wanted to get to really quick is um, when I was at Keyford Celebration. Um, which I, I was very grateful to be at, and uh, what a great time. Um, I, uh, during sealed play, played with a with a guy who, you know, we played, and then we were talking about Unchained, uh, and he said, well, I got this Unchained deck. Um, it's horrible, but it has uh, three copies of Gambling Den. How silly is that? <laughs> wow. And I was like, I will... I will give you money for that right now. And he said, yeah. So I acquired it and uh, gifted it to Mark H. So unfortunately, Unchained decks are um, not, you know, scannable at all. So um, I cannot send you the link to it. But but it has two Gambling Dens and Shadows and one in Logos. <laughs> and it, it's just... It's just, it's amazing. Uh, and I don't think it's particularly good, but it's super, super fun. So, yeah. On a related note, I got a, a Ember Medes was generous enough to trade me um, one of his Winds of Exchange decks that he got at Celebration. It was a double Whirlpool. And um, the Whirlpool was actually pretty terrible in the deck, but it's super <laughs> cool to have. I'm so excited about it. Really thankful that he was willing to uh, to part with it with a, a reasonable trade for both of us. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I didn't go to celebration, but I managed to come out of it with a pretty cool deck myself. Yeah, it's that's two, that's two whirlpool in. It, it's a standard. It's not an unchained. No, it's a winds of exchange. Yeah, regular. So wow, that will, okay, will be scannable. I think Amazing. it's my third double whirlpool deck. I have maybe okay. second. Wow. I don't know if you know this, but I I like whirlpool. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't know how much you like whirlpool. That's awesome. I think I'm up to 28 copies now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And and sorry, how many of those are playable? Uh, probably like 
three or four. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually was going to guess higher. Cause it, I mean, there's just weird stuff that happens, but yeah, no, it's totally weird. We, I think we've done an episode on it already. Haven't we? Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, oh we've See? done World maybe. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I talk about it every week. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's hard to tell, like, have we not JT? Uh, I, I think we, mm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to check the archives now. Well, the too long didn't read on, on Whirlpool decks, I think is that, um, so many Whirlpool decks rely on it. And if you lose the mm. Whirlpool or you don't find it, it falls apart. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's very hard to find a good Whirlpool deck or even a good deck with mm-hmm. Whirlpool in it, as we've made that distinction earlier. So, mm-hmm. um, it's super strong when it sticks, um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always. Yeah. I mean, I think some of that is hazard of being in dark tidings um that i think the uncontroversial opinion is that dark tidings is lower on the power curve so when you're talking about a rare in a set that struggles a little more that's tough but i'm hoping that that woe makes up for that and we get some a lot more strong whirlpool decks because it is a super fun card for sure and i'm excited for uh whirlpool plus quixel stone which are both in winds of exchange was I playing against you or one of your your teammates in that match? It was a it was a swindle of team event match where I remember I do remember that, but I don't think I was playing. I don't think it would have been me. It would have been, uh, it would have been either Mark or, or Donut Stead because I think they they both brought Quixel decks. Mm-hmm. And I brought a Whirlpool, and yeah. it was in the reversal game for the Morai, and uh, it just I, I it was something that I had never thought about before, even though I'd played a lot of Whirlpool. And um, they played out the Quixel, and then I played out the Whirlpool, and we passed back a Cornus and Octavia the entire game that had about 10 Amber on it, and no one was allowed to play a creature. And um, the Whirlpool deck had lots of hard artifact control in the Molly Mox, but was literally not allowed to play them. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with Molly Mox. That was the weirdest game I've ever played, probably. That's funny, but th- those are... Those are the best. The best games once you're through them, right? Yeah, it was very memorable for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Are we are we turning this into a whirlpool episode? <laughs> <laughs> Let's shift gears, play our game. Oh, I'm gonna do uh, do the all where you find us spiel, you know. So uh, working on this. So let me know. Let me know what you think. I don't know. So yeah, sloppy lab work. Uh, I'm starting over. I'm gonna cut this out. And, you know, bottom of the beaker. <laughs> is uh is recorded live in front of an audience of ducks and humans every week tuesday nights typically at 9 30 eastern uh you can find archives of our past shows and streams over at youtube search for at sloppy lab work you'll find us there and for the very best content 3457 times distilled and then scraped from the bottom of the beaker search for sloppy lab work bottom of the beaker and your podcatcher of choice We'll be there. Special thanks, special thanks to Aviator for joining us in this one. Uh, we're going to stick around now and play some games. Uh, we'll, we'll, let's just say your your farewells to the audio folks, Aviator. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and uh, this was this was great. Right on, right on. And uh, I guess for the folks who are getting off this train at the last audio stop, uh, do you have anything you'd like to say to them? Quick draw. Just stay sloppy. <laughs>